Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, these 15 psalms are a collection of songs that ancient Israelites would have sung as they made their way to Jerusalem at annual feast. Three times a year, they would make their journey up there as pilgrims going to Jerusalem. And these are songs they sang along the road. Jesus himself uh, sang these songs as he made his way to Jerusalem with his family. They were the songs of the pilgrims. And as it turns out, um, you and I are on a pilgrimage of our own. It's called life. That metaphor is used a number of times in scripture that we are on this journey, this pilgrimage toward God that is our lives. And so it's possible these songs could be pretty helpful for us to sing as well, for us to know the tunes and to know the lyrics and to know the message that they have to say to us about how we successfully make ourselves to get our way together uh, toward our God, this journey. One of the things that's certainly true about our journey is that we make that journey through a very noisy, noisy world. It is filled with it, freeways and jet planes and music blaring in restaurants and droning news on TV and the constant hum of crowds. It seems like constantly our world is just filled with noise. Even out in the country where we live, these 18-wheelers make their way grinding their gears and revving their engines about a half a mile away on their way to oil fields south of us and interrupt the quiet of that area. For a long time, there was a motocross park about a mile away, and on weekends sounded like a chainsaw convention. And uh, they're quiet now. I think my wife prayed them out of existence. That was. <laughs> Sometimes I'm grateful to be deaf in one ear. Richard Foster suggested that three of the biggest enemies of life with God, three of the devils, he said, strongest tools are noise, hurry, crowds. And I I think he's right on all three counts. I I know that noise can certainly do it. But you know, not all the noise that distracts us is external. A good bit of it takes place right between our ears. It takes place in our heads. It's a racket that we deal with as we journey and it arises from within. Things like deadlines and commitments and activities and schedules make as much noise as a shouting crowd sometimes in our heads. Our fears, our uncertainties, the things we're insecure about, our guilt, our self-doubt, they clamor in our heads like a rock concert sometimes and drown out everything else that God might want to speak to us. Quietness does not come easily in this noisy, demanding, threatening world that we live in. We may have struggled with that inner noise and never really put our finger on its source, or at least the source of much of it. If we could find the source, maybe we could find a volume control and turn it down a little bit so that we don't have to live with all that noise within our head. At least some of that inner clamor comes from uh, something that Scripture calls our ambitions. 
this Christ-following journey that we're on takes place not only in a noisy world, but it takes place in a culture of ambition, a culture that tells us constantly that we have to accomplish and prosper apparently without any bounds at all. We are supposed to be valuable only if we are ambitiously striving for the next promotion or payoff or position or place of power or possession. We're worthy if we're achieving and succeeding. We're worthy if we're turning out number one, if we're always winning. That's when we're acceptable. This culture of ambition drives us, and as a consequence, it fills our head with this noise that keeps us from hearing from God. That kind of selfish ambition is often at the root of the things that we fret over, the noise that we hear in our head. We hear all the what-ifs and if-onlys in our head and the could-haves and the should-haves and all of those things we use to judge ourselves with, accusing us of not doing enough or not being enough. It's all part of this culture of ambition, the noise that's in our head. We need some kind of volume control. We need some way to turn it down this inner noise. We want it quieter inside, then we have to go to the root and deal with the culture of ambition and our relationship to it. One of the songs for our journey that might help us with this is Psalm 131. It's only three verses long. Why don't we read it together aloud? Together. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. This culture of ambition is not new. It's been around for a long, long time. And the psalmist rejects it in this very first verse. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Most commentators on this psalm assume this is more a word of testimony than anything, that the psalmist knows what he's talking about because he's been there, that there was a time in life when these were the very things that he pursued, and he found the noise and the frustration just too much for him as he encountered the limitations that are inherent to being human. But now he's experienced a kind of change in his life, and no longer, he says, "Do my is my heart lifted up? This is a... Uh, you, you hear these body parts here, my heart, my eyes, and even the line, I do not occupy myself, literally is, I do not walk with. Uh, my life is no longer tied up in haughtiness, in arrogance, in ambition, in things too marvelous for me. I, I've found the end of all of that. Ambition, eyes raised too high, and pride, the heart lifted up, are partners. They work together. Selfish desires are usually fueled in our lives by a sense of self-importance and dependence on ourselves. We think of ourselves more highly than we should. We depend on ourselves rather than God, and we, we have ambition for things that are outside the bounds of what will give us life. The result is this kind of noisy striving we're engaging in to achieve and succeed in all these ambitions. But eventually, because we are human, we have to crash into our limitations and we realize 
these things are too high and marvelous for me. And we find ourselves experiencing deep frustration, not being able to achieve that very thing we want to achieve. We depend on ourselves rather than God, and this noisy striving just fills our lives up. This is the human experience. It's not just 21st century culture. It's in ancient Israel as well. Our arrogance about ourselves grows out often out of a sense of insecurity, insignificance. We have to bolster our image with our haughtiness, our eyes lifted up, our heart lifted up. We puff ourselves up with pride. We have to run our own personal ad campaign all the time to let everybody know how important we are and all of those things to prove our worth. And that arrogance increases our internal noise level. Our head fills up with that because arrogance and quietness can't occupy the same space. To be quiet inside is to surrender that kind of arrogance. But humility and quietness make really good roommates. And Dallas Willard describes this practice of humility. I mean, how do you get, humility is a slippery thing. C.S. Lewis said that it's such a slippery virtue. Just in the moment that you think you've got it, you become proud about how humble you are and you lose it. Um, Dallas Willard says it's a matter of practice, that we do certain things, and in the process, humility begins to grow within us. He suggests three practices for achieving humility. One, he says, never presume privilege. Don't assume that you've got a right to something. Don't assume that privileges are yours. And look for ways to let go of privilege. A second practice, he says, never pretend to be someone or something you're not. Be transparent, be honest with folk about who you really are and um, what you really do. And then he said, third is never push to have your own way. Ambition wants its own way. Humility says, I don't have to have it my way. Richard Foster described the, the discipline of submission as the, the ability to be happy without getting your own way. And that's a difficult one for both of us, for most of us. This is the calling of Christ, this call to humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but think of others as more important than yourself. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, he says. And then he describes Christ's humble servanthood and his death on the cross and how God, God rewarded that with resurrection and rule. Ambition has no place in our lives. There is an alternative, however. Uh, and the psalmist has taken a different posture in his life. He said, I, I no longer occupy myself with these things that are too high. My eyes are not lifted up. My heart is not proud. But, he said, something has changed within me. And what he has done is he's replaced ambition with aspiration. Aspiration is a good thing. It's wanting to be what God wants us to be. It is Paul in Philippians chapter 3 saying, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on to that which lies ahead, I give myself to following the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's not ambition. Ambition is selfish and personal. Aspiration is toward God's call on our life and beginning to serve him. He's, the psalmist has 
let aspiration replace ambition. He's let faithfulness replace the desire for fame. Ambition wants to be famous. Aspiration wants to be faithful. That's the call, to take those gifts and abilities and opportunities that are ours and use them fully in the kingdom of God. Is, that's not a sinful desire. That is a desire to be faithful with what we have. But ambition wants to be famous. Uh, he's learned to replace trust in God with his independence from God. He's let humility replace his pride. He has let hoping in God supplant this need for constant achievement and striving. He's let satisfaction and contentment take the place of the frustrations he felt over his limitations. This is the change that he's testifying to. In verse two, he's not only rejected the culture ambition, but he's chosen this life of resting in God. That's evident in the second verse. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. The nursing child lives in a kind of dependence on her mother for nourishment, and unless her belly is adequately full, she may not be calm and quieted, but demanding. The three-year-old child, however, is in a different place. It's now possible, being weaned, to be with mom without demanding anything to be with mom just because you love your mom and your mom loves you and you can be quieted and calm and delighted by being with her and resting in her love. Our God, who is called in the Psalms, the father to the fatherless, is here portrayed as mother to the motherless. It is God to whom we turn for this kind of care and comfort. That's the posture the psalmist has learned to adopt toward God. He's God is to the psalmist like a loving, caring, protective mother upon whom he's learned to rely and trust and lean and uh, find hope in. He's able to live with a sense of contentment rather than frustration because he's abandoned all that ambitious living for a life of rest and trust in God. And it's this resting, trusting posture that has turned the noise level down inside. I have calmed quieted my soul. How do you calm and quiet your soul? Uh, it must be something we do intentionally. The psalmist doesn't say, God calmed and quieted my soul. He said, I did it. How do you do that? I'm not entirely sure, but it might look like first just acknowledging the noise and saying to God, I feel anxious. I feel afraid. I feel insecure. I feel overwhelmed. I feel angry. It might look like naming the noise in prayer and saying, God, this is what's going on in my head, as you well know, because you know my thoughts as they, before they're formed in my head. But acknowledging it only, it might look like calling to mind the truth of Scripture and realigning our hearts with what's true rather than succumbing to the lies of our ambitious culture. It might be saying, Lord, this is what's going on in me, and you said, and to cite one of those beautiful promises from the Psalms, or perhaps, or from the prophets, or Jesus' words, you told me to cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. And then just to ask for what we need. God, I need, my, I need the noise to go down. I need the volume turned down. I need to let go of this, the values of this ambitious world and culture. And, and rest in you. Help me to do that. I have calmed 
and quieted my soul. In that kind of place, quietness becomes possible because we're secure in God's love. As Paul says in Romans 8, 38, 39, that that passage, that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. We can rest secure in the love of God no matter what's going on in our heads. We know that all that we do to serve Christ in the world, whether it looks successful in the eyes of the world or not, Paul says in 1 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not empty. It matters. God uses it. We can rest in that. We can relax knowing that God is working in our lives in all circumstances, working all things together for good, for his glory, for the good of the kingdom, and for ours. And so that quietness and humility become these compatible roommates. We quiet down and we trust in God and we rest in him. The natural movement from arrogance and ambition to humility and trust in God's maternal care for us, the next move is one of ministry. He turns the psalmist who has been speaking in the first person about his own life with God. He turns to his brothers and sisters who are on this pilgrimage with him, and he speaks to them. He speaks to the community of the faithful traveling through this anxious, ambitious, noisy world, and he calls on all of God's people to put our hope in God. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. It's worth it. Place your trust, your hope in him. It's a common call of God in the psalm of the psalmist to God's people in the Psalms. In fact, the Psalm just before this ended with that same call. Uh, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him there is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. This call to hope in God. Hoping in the Lord is a posture and a proper attitude for those who are on this pilgrim journey following Christ through life. Hoping in the Lord is a turning away from our self-sufficient, frantic, ambitious living and placing our faith in quiet, dependent on God and God's constant, unfailing love. That's what hoping in the Lord is. Hoping in the Lord is the confidence that God holds our future and that no matter what future this journey takes us into, God's already there waiting for us and has provided for that. Nothing will separate us from his love, nothing we encounter along the way, and we will encounter nothing that he is incapable of working together for his glory and for our good and the good of his kingdom. Hoping in the Lord is not just a practice for individual pilgrims either. It's for the community of faith who are journeying together. Oh, Israel, he said. He could have said, oh, church, hope in the Lord. He could have said, oh, Trinity Baptist Church, Hope in the Lord. Your future is in the hands of the same God who brought you this far on your journey. Hope in the Lord. The God of hope, as Paul calls him in Romans 15, awaits the church in every moment of its future. We journey together toward God and toward God's purposes, and we encounter nothing along the way as the people of God that God is incapable of meeting with his love and his provision and his providence and his goodness. He will provide as we demonstrate this life of living in love with each other and with him and serving his world. He will follow us and go before us and walk beside us. 
He will provide as we surrender our selfish ambition for a life of godly aspirations, our arrogance for humility in service to one another in his world, our striving for trust. As we make those exchanges, God is the God of hope who goes before us, who awaits us, who provides for us. Oh, Trinity Baptist Church, hope in the Lord. Our memories of God's work in the past are powerful. But what memory is to the past, hope is to the future. It's the way we sort of remember the future. It's the way we think about where God is taking us and believe in God's presence with us, even as he's been present with us in the past. Kenan Callahan wrote, hope is stronger than memory. Salvation is stronger than sin. Forgiveness is stronger than bitterness. Reconciliation is stronger than hatred. Resurrection is stronger than crucifixion. Light is stronger than darkness. Hope is stronger than memory. It is hope that takes us forward. It is what God calls us into, a life of trusting him, surrendering our ambition, and hoping in him as we walk along this path together. Let's read that psalm together again. Together. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. Let's pray together. Our God, you are to us mother as well as father at times. Our lives are so busy and hurried and crowded and noisy. We want and we desperately need calmer and quieter souls. We need to know what it is to be held in your loving embrace without demands, without ambition, without striving, without pride knowing the contentment and satisfaction of just you, our God. We ask you to take away the clutter and the clatter of our pride and our striving. Teach us to calm and quiet our souls. Teach us to trust you to provide what we need and to hope in you as we move forward in our pilgrimage through this life. Teach us together what it means to place our hope in you now and forevermore. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.